0: Educate for Life on AM 1170. The answer is sponsored by educateforlife.org.
1: Educate for Life with Kevin Conover on AM 1170. The Answer. Educate for Life. A look at current events from today's headlines and how they affect you. What you believe shapes your worldview and your ultimate destiny. Learn more now at educateforlife.com. Now, in studio, here is your host, Kevin Conover.
2: Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170 The Answer in San Diego every Sunday from 4 to 5 p.m. You can also stream the show at am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org. And my guest today is Star Parker. Star, if you don't know who she is, uh, she's a national black conservative leader. She is the founder and president of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. It's a public policy think tank that promotes market-based solutions to fight poverty. And she regularly is in touch with federal and state legislators on market-based strategies to fight poverty. She has an amazing testimony about where she's come from and how that shaped the way she thinks today. She's spoken on more than 190 colleges and universities about anti-poverty initiatives. She's co-authored several books and is a nationally syndicated columnist with Creator Syndicate. And her advisory board includes people like Generals John Ashcroft, Ed Meese, Doctors Ben Carson, Robert George, George Gilder, Marvin Oloski, and Walter Williams. Star, thanks for being on the show today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very excited to hear what you have to say, and I think uh, the message that you're sharing is really a unique one. There's not a lot of people that are talking the way you're talking, and um, kind of rallying people together— Uh, to promote a new way of thinking, especially among the uh, African-American community. Um, Can you share with us how you got started on this uh, move and and, and how your life has been before this happened?
3: Well, I started on the move because I was consulting on federal welfare reform and found some interesting um, applications, if you will, to try to get the ideas into the communities that we were going to impact by changing policy. One of those applications was the movement itself. Those that were moving policy in Washington affected other people's lives. That movement had become all R and D. There was just no marketing department. People didn't know what we were trying to do. Uh, one of the other applications was that in the messaging of what we were trying to do, the the left took it off into a, a whole other direction and told the country that we were going to star people and we were going to kick them out on the street if welfare was reformed and so I began my initiative to say maybe we should get this message into the communities that are going to in- be impacted by uh, the changes that we're doing on fellow welfare reform uh, nine million children were on the system and their five million moms had put them there uh, but what I knew very closely, up close and personally, was that uh, there's a church community out there that serves these populations. I, what I knew through data was that a third of black people polled that they were evangelical and conservatives, that they were not uh, of the, the side now trying to represent their views to tell us that we were going to starve people and put them to the street so i began my initiative the center for urban renewal and education more to outreach to address uh, those questions coming out of the welfare bill that was passed in 1996 and asked the church to participate in charity the government doesn't belong in charity uh, and god does and i knew this firsthand and so uh, it began my journey to not just inform the pastors, but then to get to the place where I now represent a policy institute in Washington, D.C., yeah. because I want more than just welfare reform. I want I want it all. I want the government out of the charity business. <laughs> and why I think I'm so adamant and passionate is because I live that lie of the left. I was uh, seven years in and out of welfare dependency, three and a half years consistently. I believed everything that we're hearing even to today, that the poor were poor because the wealthy were wealthy, that my problems were somebody else's fault, that I didn't have to mainstream my life because America was a racist anyway, I mean, all of these ideas were being pumped into me year in and year out that I got very lost uh, in managing my life and began to live very recklessly, uh, engaged in criminal activity and drug activity and sexual activity that landed me in and out of abortion clinic after clinic and then finally on the welfare state. So my firsthand experience inside of the lie uh, propelled me to say we've got to not only get the government out of charity business, but we've got to stop them from lying about who is supposed to take care of those in need.
2: Now that's a powerful that's a powerful uh, testimony, and your own experience um, gives you a lot of credibility. Uh, what what was it that caused the switch? Um, I know you you uh, became a Christian. You accepted Christ as your Savior. Uh, how did that happen?
3: Yeah, that was the turning point because I was looking to subsidize my welfare check. You know, you, we hear today a um, much discussion about the 18 trillion dollars we're in debt, and you know, behind every dollar, that 18 trillion is a person in a program. Uh, we hear today the 900. 900- uh, billion dollars that we're spending on these means-tested welfare programs, and a lot of people are very upset about the tax side of it, and we lose sight of the human side of it, that people are being crushed, that uh, Uncle Sam is cruel to the poor, and so the rules of welfare, the means-tests themselves uh, to qualify, uh, were uh, leaving people in lives of despair. They. They basically boil down to don't work, don't save, don't get married, and we'll kind of keep you on this government poverty plantation. Yeah. And I live that, and so it was very difficult to meet need. Uh, and so I found ways to make more money. And one of the ways to make more money was to try to get a business to pay you under the table to do, you know, to not report you to the welfare. And I went into a business in South L.A. uh, one day and asked them to, you know, get me a couple dollars under the table, and they said they didn't pay like that, that they were legitimate businessmen. And, you know, this is fascinating to me because I was from the part of the black community that believed the lies of the left, Uh, and they were um, from the part of the black community that were church going, and they told me my lifestyle was unacceptable. They said it was unacceptable to God, and I got out of there because I wasn't prepared to hear that type of messaging. I didn't know God, but, boy, I tell you, when somebody says God with a capital G, Uh, you kind of recognize that I'd not been to church didn't come from that side of of the track I suppose Um, didn't even know that there were churches in my community at that point in my life and um Uh, and they kept calling me and inviting me to go to church with them and then one day I did and when I did I heard the gospel I heard that God was in Christ that he was reconciling the world to himself that he wasn't mad at me that he loved me and that he had died for me and when I heard all these things it was good news it was just interesting to hear and frankly I wasn't doing very well with my little life anyway so I thought maybe I should go that route and I did and I began to go to the church and I began to learn I began to grow and within about three years of this developing a whole new worldview, the pastor looked out at 4,000 people and said, what are you doing living on welfare? He said, the government is not your source, God is. And he had us open the scripture, and he said, my God will supply your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I'm sitting there thinking about his God supplying my need, Uh, so I wrote my caseworker. I told her, take my name off, trust in God. I went and got a little job, and I began to grow on that job. The Lord showed me he was in the talent distribution business that um, he gave one-man-five, one-two, one-one. Well, he gave me one because that little white guy that hired me that everybody said would never hire me because they don't hire black people. Uh, I've heard that all my life, too. Uh, But that guy that hired me, he... um, uh, came by my desk one day and said, you sure talk a lot. And he said, have you ever considered sales and marketing? And I ended up with a degree in marketing and thought if I could sell for him, I could sell for myself. And I w- went into my own business. And after the 1992 Los Angeles riots destroyed my business, I began to really focus on social reform and social policy reform and then welfare reform. Uh, and that's when I began to shape the organization that I run today. And about eight years ago, I moved it to Washington, D.C.
2: Mm. Wow. And uh – you know that is that's amazing that's phenomenal, and it uh, just speaks to the power of Christ in a person's life and i I wanted to ask you because you know I'm sure our audience is thinking you several times you've made the statement that uh, government does not belong in the the charity or the welfare business uh, that's the job of the church uh, that's a pretty strong statement, and uh, for a lot of people that's not intuitive they 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 think hey if if we care, we are as a government, we are going to be giving. Uh, money to people. We're going to be giving these things to help these people, and that is that's what's helping them. And you know, for a lot of people, I even know um, you know many Christians, uh, and uh, I've worked with several Christians who they say, "Hey, this is the the Christian position. The Democrats have the Christian position. We need this welfare. We need to we need to increase the welfare." And right. and I'm very curious to to know why you have such a strong opinion about that, and why you believe that that is what actually. Um, you know, took you in a bad direction, not a good direction. It's a problem. Yeah, it's yeah, a problem. And, and and well, I, w- because I think a well, lot of
3: people believe that, um, but I I think that very few Christians adopt a biblical worldview about how God sees charity, yeah. um, because if they did, they would not think that a, a, a blind government should be in the charity business. Charity well, is Star, personal. we're
2: coming up on a break here, so uh, this is a great place to... to uh, Stop here, and we'll pick up right as soon as we come back from the break. Stay with us. Uh, Star is going to give her perspective on why the government should not be in the charity business. Uh, We will be right back. Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170 The Answer in San Diego. You can also stream the show at am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org. You can listen to a recording of this show tomorrow. Um, my guest today is Star Parker. I'm very excited to have her on. She's a national leader in the fight against poverty. and uh, she is an African-American speaking out and um, giving a compelling argument that the democratic solutions to poverty, to, uh, to, for example, single family mo- or single family parents struggling to make it um, is not more and more welfare given out by the government. And so we just left off with um, asking her in the previous segment um, why she feels so strongly that government should not be in the business of charity when it seems uh, kind of like, you know, you have a hard heart if you're not as a, um, you know, as somebody, a politician or a voter, who's not supporting helping poor people, um, and and yet she says no, that's not the way to go. Um, Star, can you can you uh, continue your answer on that?
3: Right, charity is personal, to, 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 and it's personal uh, from both sides of the equation. It's personal for the person giving the charity, and it's. Personal for the person accepting the charity. This is not the business of government. Government's role is to protect our interest, uh, not to plunder them, not to pursue our interest. Uh, and so just the tax policy surrounding welfare, the $900 billion they, that they arbitrarily uh, cannot distribute. Uh, can, the government cannot pick winners and losers. This is for individuals to uh, do charity and churches to be engaged. So there are two thoughts on why I believe that part of the body of Christ that concludes that we should pool our resources and hand it over to a, a government entity and bureaucrats and allow them then to uh, arbitrarily distribute it out there uh, with very little definition of how to define whether... Folks that really need uh, it reduces it to means test. You can't just arbitrarily give away other people's money. So they means test it. So the tests are, is there a working body? Is there um, in the household? Is anyone 18? Is anyone um, going to school? Is anyone dead? Is anyone married? These types of questions have reduced it to where we've increased now out of wedlock birth because it destroys marriage when you're trying to so-called help people. And by helping them as a government, uh, you cannot look at them as a unique individual. One size fits all doesn't. Uh, Any woman can tell you that when you go shopping. And then you see a dress, and it says it's one size fits all. No, it doesn't. And so you can't have a one size fits all charity program out of government. So what you're but you're, another reason is,
2: I was going to say just back- to just to clarify mm-hmm. there, Star. So what you're saying is that what what um, government welfare does is it uh, removes kind of the personal aspect of giving and receiving, and takes away the accountability, takes away. The knowledge of that that person's personal situation. So
3: every every aspect of it. Titus was very clear when he said some you need to have, some we have compassion on others. They need to be thrust out. Um, no, it's one size fits all, and it it is just not government's role. Charity is unique and individual. That person that needs uh, needs to define that need, and they need to define that need with someone who really cares about them as a unique. Uh, individual. Um, So this brings to the second point. When you look at how God uh, asks us to distribute, He told us to bring tithes and offerings into His house so that there'll be meat there, so that churches will have the supply for for the folks. When you look at what Jesus... Um, told us to do with poor people. He said, preach the gospel to them. Well, the government can't preach the gospel to them. Individuals preach the gospel to other people, because that's the first way that they're going to escape poverty, is to understand that they have an obligation to their neighbor and to themselves to be responsible with their choices and to be self-sufficient. And once someone gets that understanding, they can then build a life toward those ends. Um, When Jesus was confronted with hunger in the scripture, he was very clear. He had one uh, opportunity with five thousand men out there, another opportunity were hungry of four thousand people. He did not tell his disciples to go set up a government welfare program with the with the Romans. He told them to bring them to him, and then he told them to feed them so the fact that um the that Christian community is lazy and doesn't want to seek out those in need and/or uh, adopt the charities that are in their local community uh, is not the fault of others who do that, and so therefore they reduce themselves to say, "Let's just give it out to the taxman and let him figure it out for us."
5: Yeah. Is it any wonder
3: now our social society has collapsed? I mean, look what we've done through well, our policy. I hear what you're look saying,
2: the, but so start. Um, I've I've had this conversation with a, a fellow Christian, and he said, "Listen, the church isn't going to pick up the responsibilities of what the government's doing. So, so how can you preach this if we don't we don't? The churches don't pick up the responsibility. We have what are called outreaches. There there
3: is not one community in this country out of the 3,100 counties in this country. There's not one community that does not have a homeless." shelter in it that does not have a, a a a place for women who are in a crisis pregnancy or a place for people that are in uh, in in a in any type of desperate situation that need maternity that we ha- we have the services in the community the charities in our community are are struggling because the government has set up a big business against them and the people have, have allowed this to continue but in the continuation of what government is doing it has made the problem much bigger and worse okay. because we have now uh, more broken homes. Look at just the black community who got caught up in this first and got caught up in welfare uh, first. They, they they moved out of wedlock birth rates from 22% in, in the 60s to 72% today. Look what welfare policy has done for the white community uh, that came in later, but uh, started in the 60s at, out of wedlock birth rates at Today they're 30%. Oh, it's a family destroyer. And when you destroy family, the institution where we move our values to our children, uh, you, you end up in more chaos. And that's why it seems so overwhelming. And then Christians will conclude the church can't handle it.
2: So yes. you know, the Church
3: can handle it. I mean, it's really simple. You just list—you can put in your bulletin every week where the charities are in your community and and, and have people give to them. It's not really rocket science. Okay, but yeah, that makes a lot of comfortable sense. comfortable allowing $900 billion to go to the federal government out of their pocket, uh, less than $0.20 cent on that dollar actually reaching than the households that we say we're trying to help because it's all in bureaucracy.
2: Okay. Oh, I mean, yeah. So that, yeah, that makes—I mean, that you know, makes I a can, lot of I
3: can, sense. I can pretend that, you know, hey, this is the only way we can do this is because, you know, we don't know. Well, we, well maybe you should find out, yeah, especially with the yeah. Internet. You, if you really want to help somebody in a crisis, uh, you can then find out what what is your passion point, what is the crisis that you're concerned about. If you're concerned about education, then give to an educational fund. There are plenty of yeah. educational funds that are trying to get scholarships uh, and vouchers to poor people so they can go to good Christian school. We'll if start... your passion is maternity, then give to your local crisis fund. Yeah,
2: family. there's, <laughs> all, <laughs> there's all. all kinds of ways to help out. Star um, oh my gosh, yes. your, your website is urbancure.org, urbancure.org. And um I wanted to give you the opportunity to share exactly your I know you have a pastors network now too, a, a black pastors right. network that you're working with. Um and right now the majority of the African American community votes Democrat. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I think
3: that voting Oh, it's about 90 well of those that vote 94% okay. uh, vote democrat so
2: so i i you probably don't have time i know you're very busy do, doing all kinds of things but i'm very curious to know why that is and how that can be changed i mean um that that is uh i mean that that's something that needs to change if the conservative viewpoint is going to you know if we're going to elect a, a conservative republican a president in 2016 uh certainly something's going to have to change there wouldn't you say
3: Oh absolutely um and it's called marketing uh in, in in business when you're when you have a product you're selling uh and you go into communities to sell it you buy ads you 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 market it you talk to them about your product So the uh, Republican party
2: it, just isn't doing that is that is that the problem here
3: Oh no they they said that they're starting to because but yeah for 50 years they let it go unchecked and so did the Christian community. It took our eye totally off of what was happening and all of the gerrymandering and the and the concentration of uh of poverty through our welfare policies, mostly through housing policies like HUD, to build ghettos, make gerrymandered districts around them to have congressional black caucus members come to Washington, D.C. to stand in the way of anything good uh, that would help these uh, people in their communities. So, yeah, we have to reverse that. And one way to do that is to start talking about freedom and what it means and talk to communities of people who've never experienced it. You look at the black community, you're talking to folks who moved from uh, generations of slavery through Jim Crow to then a welfare first state. Uh this is a community that really doesn't understand um, markets and freedom and, 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 and what it would do for them personally. And, you, and when we have yeah. discussion about any particular policy initiative there is there's no understanding there. And Democrats have, have, have over the last fifty years told them that Republicans are totally evil. And you when you write somebody
2: yeah. You well, know, when
3: somebody brands you and you never say anything, you
2: yeah, that's kind a, of believe it. Yeah, know? exactly. I, I think of
3: it on a personal level. If someone keeps telling you that person is a, sh-, and no one ever says anything, you really think they are.
2: Yeah, yeah, so, it's crazy. And they never
3: defend themselves either. So um, you so wrote a little bit of marketing that needs to be done.
2: You wrote recently in one of your um, recent uh, articles, "Conservatives Must Fight for Minority Hearts and Minds." You wrote when Ronald Reagan was elected in November 1980, 88 percent of the American electorate was white. When Barack Obama was elected in 2012, the white vote was down to 72 percent. And then a little later you wrote, the only good ideas for breathing life into these communities are coming from conservatives. Uh, Mike Lee and Ted Cruz's bill allowing for federal Title I funds to follow low-income students to whatever public or private school they choose and setting up tax-sheltered education savings account. That's another one that I think is a huge deal is the issue of school choice. Um, right,
3: right. But that, but they're not the only ones. I'm just pointing uh, as one example yeah. to what Mike Lee and, and, and Senator Cruz are doing, because Paul Ryan has a comprehensive plan as well okay. uh, for us to package a block grant back to the states this time, reforming 11 different uh, welfare programs, unlike in 96, where where it was only one, where it was only the AFDC, which turned into TANF program. So oh, absolutely, the only good, the, the good ideas are coming from the right. Uh, it's just a matter of selling those ideas into the Communities that need them desperately and then allow those communities to show up in Washington to get it done. I mean, yeah. Washington is a squeaky wheel town. The only one thing that gets done is when you people say they hate the lobbyists, they hate the lobbyists until they have to hire one yeah like exactly exactly <laughs> well,
2: star, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show today and uh, I will definitely put some links on my site to your site. Um, well, I appreciate
3: it, and let me clarify one thing, our pastor network, we, we do have three prongs, you're absolutely right, we have a media center, a clergy center, and a policy center, but the pastors are those, anyone that's serving in these hard-hit communities, so although it's disproportionate to black, it's certainly not exclusive uh, and, and and not meant to be. We really just look at poverty and make sure that the people that are in despair uh, have, have a way of escape, that they can get into what has made America exceptional and
2: great. Okay, well, thank you, Star. We we will be back and we'll continue this discussion about what's happening with welfare and poverty and so forth in California and the rest of the country. Um, we'll be right
4: back. Add historic American beauty to your home today with genuine Amish furniture. It's built in the USA from solid cherry wood with a bourbon finish. Or choose alternative woods and finishes to accent your home's decor. You'll find it all at Tucker's Valley Furniture. For over 65 years, the Tucker family has served San Diego County. Still family owned. Cash and Carry and Tucker's Valley Furniture. Two stores, both right across the street at Main and Mollison in El Cajon. Learn more at tuckersvalleyfurniture.com.
0: Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans.
5: Wake up, America. Diets don't work. Two-thirds of us are overweight or obese, and most of us have dutifully dieted our way there. Research indicates the average woman spends 17 years of her life on a diet. Stop dieting. You can lose weight permanently. Thousands already have. Call now for a free DVD. Your body is a divine miracle. Activate the miracle and lose weight permanently with healing foods. Call the Smart Food Club at 888-787-8188.
2: Thanks for tuning in to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We are on AM 1170 The Answer in San Diego every Sunday, 4 to 5 p.m., and you can stream the show worldwide on AM1170TheAnswer.com. My website's EducateForLife.org. My ministry, the focus of my uh, organization, my ministry, is to help educate you about current issues in light of a biblical worldview. And my hope is that you're challenged to think deeper about issues, uh, to love God more, to love people more, and to trust the Bible more. Um, I have all kinds of classes on my site that will... uh, educate you, uh, equip you, and prepare you to be able to articulate a biblical worldview. And my guest today is Star Parker. She has uh, an organization, Cure, the Center for Urban Renewal. uh, And uh, her website is urbancure.org. And I encourage you to support her and everything she's doing. She's making an incredible difference and uh, just working really hard. So uh, I wanted to pick up, uh, Star, with talking about school choice because, again, this is a real, there's a real battle going on, especially in California. There's uh, the, the California Teachers Union can't stand school choice, charter schools, and all this kind of stuff. They really have tried everything they can to shut as much of this down as possible. But in Florida, uh, school choice has really taken off, and I know they've had bipartisan support from both Democrats and Republicans regarding school choice. Can you um, explain a little bit of, of what school choice is and how you feel about it?
3: Right. School choice is a simple concept that we as a society believe that in order to have a, um, a civil populace, we have to have an educated populace. So as a society, we've agreed to pool our resources through our property taxes to pay for other people's children to get an education, to go to school. Uh, What we did, though, and one of the mistakes we did is we allowed then the government to go into the education business as opposed to leaving it private. Uh, And over time, unions became very much in control of this interest. And so you're absolutely right. They have moved where the private sector can't even get in anymore. Uh, we have 14 states that actually have Blaine amendments written into their constitutions that children cannot leave the public schools. Uh, so it's school choices a battle. But when money follows children to the schools the parents want, we find that education happens even in the public schools. Uh, and that's referring to what you said happened in Florida. Uh, school choice is a real simple concept. Money follows children to the school the parent wants, um, but it is a battle uh, all across this country. There are only two states in the union that actually have full state-wide um, school choice vouchers. Uh, one is Indiana, when um, Mitch Daniels was the governor there, he made sure that his state parents were able to send their children to whatever school they want to go to, um, and we also have one in Louisiana uh, because of Katrina. Uh, where schools were flooded out, although they, the unions did everything they could to keep children from going to um, private schools uh, unless they were paid for them themselves, uh, Katrina wiped all of that away because the only structures left standing were the private ones. So kids had to go to school, and so it opened the door for uh, the coming governor, who is now the governor Bobby Jindal, to push school choice statewide. Now he's in court on that. The the Justice Department refuses to acknowledge that he has a right to get his poor children into quality schools, um, and so they're fighting. And he's ready and prepared for that battle. Uh, Why is it such a battle? It's a battle because we're talking about worldview. We're talking about children thinking independent, and what most poor parents do when they get opportunity to take their children to any school is they send them to Christian schools, they send them to Catholic schools, they send them to schools with religious affiliations. So that conflicts with the uh, secular-ism that's being taught in our public schools. Uh, And we have people who have an agenda to make sure that we have um, conformity in all of the population, and the best place to get that conformity is to go after the kindergartner. Actually, they'd rather go after them earlier. You hear the rhetoric out of the left often about, you know, getting the, into the daycares, making u, what they call universal daycare. Yeah, kind of meaning, a
2: mandatory uh, daycare kind of a system. Yeah, yeah, yeah getting them real early so
3: that you can indoctrinate them, because I, if you, they must figure that by the time they get to the to the kindergarten, now they're coming in praising the Lord, and they got to get that up out of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. There was just a recent, it's unreal. Into, in California, yeah, it is, where in California schools, they, they really aggressively teaching homosexuality and one of the little kindergartners in one of the classes said, Oh no, no, you can't have two mommies, you have to have a mom and a dad, a kindergartner. Yeah. And her and the teacher upbraided her in front of the class, the the um, student went home crying, and uh, and this is happening all over the country now. So, uh, yeah, we should fight for school choice, and we should fight for for a very specific reason. Because our children, Christian children, should not be in secular schools. They should be, and in particular, the more vulnerable that child is, the m- the more we should get them out of those secular schools. The only place we as a society get to talk to poor students is in school. Yeah, and the least we can do. When their home is already in chaos, when their community is, is, is what one social scientist called the tragedy of the commons, no one owns it, so no one takes care of it, uh, the only place we do get them is in school. So the least we could do is get them in, a, in the opportunity to get them in a school to where they can build a moral framework.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and just for clarification for our listeners, so what happens here is in, in many of the states where they're uh, encouraging this, they're giving a voucher, so the... the Parents get a voucher, and the, the money follows the, the child to the school of their choice. So the parent right. may say, hey, I don't, want, I don't want to go into this school. It's not a good school. And because they have this particular voucher, they can go to whatever school they want. That can be private or public school.
3: Right, and some and some are getting much more generous about what that means. The, the, many of the vouchers are right around fifteen hundred dollars, some up to three thousand dollars. Arizona just passed a statewide um, education package that is not a voucher, but it's more like scholarship. Uh, so there are many, many um, opportunities for growth in this area. But you're right, in California, in, unless until the Christian community uh, recognizes that they're in a war and that they are losing in that war, and that one day. They're going to wake up to a new reality. Uh, they, until they do that, their schools are under attack, and vouchers are just not a reality anywhere in California. Oh yeah,
2: our education system is is falling apart, especially in places like L.A. and other places. There,
3: well, people say that, but then they don't seem to do anything about it. Yeah. You know, but yeah. I, I don't know how dark it has to get to for people to recognize that we are, that our culture has collapsed.
2: And do you believe that this is one of the main issues that, as far as the the elections coming up here in 2016? As far as persuading uh, uh, the African American community of the conservative, uh, do you do you believe that this is a good uh, tactic as far as getting Democrats on board with a conservative view? Uh, is this something that can be sold to the um, African American community community?
3: Oh yes, blacks are eighty eight percent want school choice. Uh, yes, this is, this is a winning issue to talk to people about things that matter to them and what they vote on. Uh, where it runs in a little complication is, it, uh, from a federal standpoint, what can you really do? Uh, what Mike Lee and, and Ted Cruz are proposing to do is with Title I, because, because the federal government does control Title I, and Title I uh, programs for our poor students, uh, that money, they want to follow children to whatever school they want to, but many are not in agreement with expanding the role of the Department of Education. Actually, we would like the government out of the education business. Uh, so most school choice um uh, activity is in the states, and and they vary state by state. It's one of the reasons you see this uproar over Common Core. People do not want the federal government engaged in local education, but it is a winning issue, absolutely. And it's one to show the difference between the two parties. Another to show the difference between the two parties is abortion. I mean, the, the childbearing uh, black female, uh, you know, childbearing age black female is about four percent of the population, and she's thirty. Six percent of abortions in this country, and, and this community is being specifically targeted for annihilation uh, by Planned Parenthood, which gets five hundred million tax dollars every year. That's now, billion is, the, is the black community
2: is the black community in general? Because you said ninety-four percent of the black community, approximately voting blacks, is voting Democrat. Are they just unaware of the, this fact, or, or they're what?
3: absolutely unaware of it? They're embarrassed that I had one, or you know, and they know that somebody in their family had one, and they know that it's sin, and we know that you know this is. Uh, not a good idea, and many just, it's a secret, silent sin in our society. When you have over a million abortions in a, commun- in, a in a society like we're having right now in America, uh, you've got a significant amount of women that are engaged in this, and yeah. so it's become a very secret, private sin. But when they find out that it's part of a conspiracy, they wake up. We're in fact, this weekend, uh, we're having a march at the Edmund Pettus Bridge uh, to make more folks aware of what has happened uh, in um uh in, in abortion in the black community um uh, many african american in church bible believing tongue talking black people did, did didn't even know that the president was um is so pro abort not just pro uh, abortion but way a ninth month ninth hour oh yeah and um, the senator so he he
2: voted he voted 3 times against the born uh, born alive act In uh, yeah, in uh, yeah, so in uh, Illinois, yeah, when he was senator, and 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 that is the idea that if a botched abortion happens and a baby's born, that baby, uh, he he was allowing the baby to be killed on the table when it was already born by the doctor. Uh, oh, un-
3: this was happening all over the country. This is, in fact, that's what Gosnell was about, and, and where he was storing them in freezers, and body parts were be- on display. The toilets were stuffed up with these body parts, and and he finally went to jail for uh, killing three uh, out, out of the sixteen thousand that he killed up in the clinic in um, in in Philadelphia. Yeah. But really, this, these facts are not known though, and what where most people are intrigued was even the one. Opportunity the church had to bring it this out about the president who was then just a senator running for president was when the, when Rick Warren hosted a debate at his church uh, and the, uh, the president dismissed the whole abortion issue that it was above his pay grade and uh, Warren Pastor Warren did not explore this and expose uh, the president for uh, his is extremely out of the mainstream views on abortion. Yeah, uh, had he done that, perhaps the black. Christian community would not have supported him in the numbers that they did, not once but twice. Uh, but, it, but with the little ray of light that I saw in that election, there were many that were aware and they did not vote for him. While much of the country was focused on the you know, 96% of black voters who went out that election, your voted for Barack Obama, uh, I looked at other data to see, well, what about all of the black community? And it was interesting to see the very large number uh, of registered black people who didn't vote at all that year. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, so there's a little bit of hope.
2: We are just out of time here, so uh, Star, thank you so much for uh, being on the show, and uh, I will continue to keep you in my prayers. I encourage my listeners. um, I
5: appreciate it. Please
2: pray for her. Please uh, financially support her uh, organization. Uh, That's urbancure.org, and uh, you are doing a fantastic uh, work. Thank you so much for for your dedication, Star. And
3: thank you for allowing me to share my work with you and your audience.
4: Absolutely. Have a great day. In 1947, Gordon Tucker began serving San Diego County families. Today, the family tradition continues with two stores, Tucker's Valley Furniture and Cash and Carry, both right across the street in El Cajon at Main and Mollison. Whether you want today's modern, eco-friendly furniture or authentic Amish furniture from solid cherry wood built in America, let the Tucker family serve your family. Learn more at tuckersvalleyfurniture.com. A proud sponsor of Educate for
0: Life with Kevin Conover. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans.
2: Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We are on AM 1170 The Answer in San Diego. You can also stream the show at am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org if you'd like to get a recording of this show. Um, it's been very interesting. I, we, I just got off the phone with Star Parker, and uh, she is a national um, representative of uh Conservative values in the black community. She's doing all kinds of amazing things. Her website again is urbancure.org. And we talked about quite a few different things here. We talked about uh, welfare. We talked about why she thinks welfare is a bad thing and um, that it that it holds people back. It keeps people down. Keeps them from being able to get out out from under that situation. And a lot of people believe that politicians, you know, are pushing welfare because um, they get votes from from pushing welfare. California has an incredible amount of people on welfare. We have one-third of the nation's welfare recipients, even though we only have 12% of the nation's population. So a lot of people say, hey, California is the welfare capital of the the United States of America. Um, Payouts uh, include – then this is cash paid out on a monthly basis, $638 you can can get uh, for a, a family of three. And often in in California's policy continues aid for children, even when the parents lose eligibility. So you may have a parent that doesn't um, qualify for welfare, but but they still give the the parent welfare even uh, because they have children. And uh, this just seems crazy uh, that that we're doing this kind of thing. And especially considering California's financial situation, you know, California was forced by the U.S. Supreme Court to release prisoners uh, from the prisons because they said, um, our prisons are overcrowded and our budget can't handle, uh, the burden of taking care of all these prisoners. At the same time, we're giving out more welfare than, than, uh, any other, uh, state in the, in the nation. So, uh, pretty unbelievable stuff. Um, uh, a senior fellow for the nonprofit center on budget and policy priorities, uh, she said, she talked about Texas. She said, um, for every, well, well, this is what it is. For every 100 families below the poverty line, only six receive assistance. So she said in California, 66 of those below the poverty line are helped. And she said, I don't call that Texas doing better than California. Uh, in Texas, there are still 94 poor families who need assistance. And the, the real question is this, though. The, the question is, is, are you actually assisting them by giving them all this welfare, or are you actually causing them more problems? And that's, that's a significant question, and I asked Starr that, and she said, you know, um, because I, I was talking to a, f- a friend of mine a while back, and he said, look, if we stop giving welfare to people, what's going to happen is the church isn't going to pick up the slack if the government stops giving out welfare, and then these people are just going to be left with no hope at all. And uh, Starr said, no, that's not the case. She she said, first of all, the church has no choice but to get involved and make a difference and get out there and start helping out. but beyond that, um, the government helping actually is hurting it's not making things better it's making things worse by keeping them trapped in those situations so uh this will be an ongoing uh discussion. but what does the Bible say about things like this? Um, it's significant you know is there a biblical view if I'm a bible believing christian, if I'm a conservative Christian, what does the Bible say? You know in the Old Testament, it actually has laws about how to deal with Um, poverty. And it's very specific, in fact. Uh, It's very interesting. In Leviticus chapter 25, it says, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. And um, and, and it goes on to say, uh, If any of your fellow Israelites become poor, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee, and then they are to be released. This is amazing in the in the Bible. Some people would say, well, this is too nice, right? Um the the bible actually has laws that say that all debts are paid off in 7 years so um, you know you're supposed to lend to poor people without charging interest you're supposed to give them food without making a profit uh these are all in, in the text of, of scripture um it goes on to to say that uh when a when a person had finished paying off their debt by working for another person uh that you you not only um you know, let them move on, but you gave them tons of stuff so that they could start up and do well. And so the biblical laws are very, very helpful in getting rid of poverty and getting people, quote, off welfare. Uh, And so I think that this really comes down in a lot of ways to a biblical worldview. Uh, When you have the government giving, taking money from, Uh, a certain class of people and then giving it to another class of people, you're actually, uh, you know, this is essentially uh, legalized theft. You're taking by force money from somebody and giving it to somebody else who didn't potentially earn it. Now, you might say, well, we need them to help, those who are rich to help the poor. Yeah, that's true. But from a biblical perspective, it's a voluntary thing. It's It's an admonition. It's something that's between them and their God. And you might say, well, then how do we know for sure that the poor are going to get helped? Well, ultimately, um, again, when you put the government in a position of forcefully taking money from one group of people and giving it to another, you're not helping anybody. So that's not the default solution. Um, the goal is to to nurture morality so that a person decides, hey, out of the good things I have, I need to give others, and in fact. What we see is when that's done, there's incredible amounts of generosity that come from that. Uh, We have numerous groups that were started by people who said, hey, I want to give back to other people. And that's not something we have to worry about. What we have to worry about is teaching morality. And morality ultimately has to come from... Uh, some source. You can't teach uh, morality without having a source for that morality. Otherwise, you end up with moral relativism, which is anybody's views go. So Christianity, the blessing of Christianity is that it teaches us to do good, right? It teaches us what's right and wrong. And it teaches us that there's absolutes to right and wrong. And ultimately, one of those absolutes is that you help the poor and the needy. Christ said, whenever you give somebody a a cup of cold water, uh, you give it to me. He said, whenever you visit somebody in prison, you're visiting me. Uh, and so Christ was all about helping the poor, and we can see this carried out in the lives of those who are dedicated Christians So really, what we need to do here is we need to promote Christianity because Christianity results in a lot of people caring about the poor. Um, if we promote atheism that doesn 't that doesn 't um, Uh, inherently promote caring about the poor. It inherently promotes caring about yourself. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't atheists that care about people. There certainly are. But that is not inherent in the atheistic worldview, because the atheistic worldview has no obligation to help anybody. There's not some humanistic obligation to help your fellow human. Now, some people might have that as their own set of morals, but it's not inherent within that particular system. Uh, we're going to come up on a break, but we'll, we'll finish this discussion off um, reflecting on how your worldview affects how you treat the poor. Uh, so stay with me. We have one more segment left, and uh, we'll wrap it up.
5: Wake up, America. Two-thirds of us are overweight or obese, and it's not your fault. End the guilt, frustration, and pain. Stop dieting, starving, and depriving yourself. Free yourself from the bondage of feeling trapped in your body. Forgive yourself. Achieve permanent weight loss with healing foods. You can love food again. You can lose weight permanently. Thousands already have. Call now for a free DVD. Your body is a divine miracle. Learn how to activate the miracle. Call the Smart Food Club at 888-787-8188.
2: Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego. You can also stream the show at am1170theanswer.com, and my website is educateforlife.org. Educate for Life, that's my organization, my ministry, and I'd love your support. And um, if you would just go to my site, check it out, take a look at it, and uh, see if it's something you would like to um, see grow and and spread and get the word out and uh, continue to inform people about Uh, the truth of the Bible, the truth of Christianity, and the truth of a biblical worldview. Um, So what I was talking about before uh, we we, uh, stepped off for the break here is the impact that a biblical worldview has on how you treat the poor. Um, Star Parker said that in and of itself changed everything for her, and uh, she is passionate about uh, uh, wiping out poverty and dealing with poverty and um, addressing it, and addressing it from a biblical worldview. So some of the ministries that were started, World Vision, you you may have heard of this ministry, um, it helps fight poverty worldwide. In 2012, they helped 4.2 million children, 1,600 communities, and helped during 87 emergency disaster situations. They work in nearly 100 countries around the world, and they serve all people regardless of religion, race, ethnicity, or gender. And what's special about Christianity is that it doesn't place... Uh, a criteria on helping somebody about you know their race, their religion, uh, their their gender, uh, their gender identity. It doesn't do that. It, it says, hey, if you need help, we'll help you. And that's uh, different than uh, religions like Islam, which Islam teaches, hey, when you give, they have to give. It's called zakat. They give one fortieth of their income um, to to Islam, but it's to promote Islam. It's not to help anybody outside of Islam. And so. Uh, That's an amazing thing about Christianity. Uh, Habitat for for Humanity was founded in 1976 by Millard and Linda Fuller, and uh, they helped build or repair more than 600,000 houses. They've served more than 3 million needy people around the world, and um, it's incredible what they do, uh, all because motivated out of their, their dedication to Christianity and to Christ. Uh, the Salvation Army. This is a huge one. The army was founded in 1865 in London by Methodist minister William Booth. It has a presence in 126 countries, running charity shops, operating shelters for the homeless, and providing disaster relief and humanitarian aid to developing countries. Now, keep this in mind. This is very interesting. They were founded in 1865. In 2012 alone, it helped over 29 million people. Can you imagine the impact of, of this organization? This is one person started this organization and his motivation was Christianity. Uh, You know, we shouldn't be— you know, this whole separation of church and state thing, which, uh, you know, is very controversial in and of itself, uh, there are certain roles the church should play, and there's certain roles that the government should play. And what Star Parker was saying was that the the government has no business being involved in charity. That's the church's business. And we should not be shutting the church down in America. We should be encouraging the church. We shouldn't be um, teaching kids in public schools uh, secularism— and that there are no absolute moralities. All morals are relative. All morals are opinions. We should be encouraging Christianity, because Christianity brings about uh, organizations like the Salvation Army. That's what's so incredible about it. Here's another one, Samaritan's Purse. Started in 1970, Samaritan's Purse has helped victims of war, poverty, natural disasters, disease, and famine with the purpose of sharing God's love through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, you know, don't make the mistake of thinking that You know, they walk up to somebody with a a bottle of water, and they say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, or you don't get the bottle of water. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is that they're representing Christ by giving out the water, and that's a completely different thing. This is not, um, hey, do what I say, or you don't get the help. This is, I help you because I love you, because Christ loved me uh, when I needed help. A Samaritan's Purse also runs Operation Christmas Child. This is the world's largest Christmas project. It collects and distributes gift-filled shoeboxes for needy children around the world. Since 1993, more than 100 million boxes have been distributed in more than 130 countries. Each year, the project mobilizes more than 100,000 volunteers in the U.S. They also have what's called the Children's Heart Project. and This brings children to North America to receive life-saving surgery not available in their home countries. Samaritan's Purse has arranged surgery for more than 900 children with heart defects. And they go on and on. They have uh, feeding programs to help uh, people that are suffering from um, uh, from uh, famine and disaster, uh, People, refugees, uh, they'll do airdrops of food. They have another one called Operation Heal Our pa- Patriots, uh, designed to strengthen the marriages of wounded and injured members of the U.S. military. Um. Animals, agricart- agriculture, and livelihood. They, they do all kinds of incredible things. Um, another one, and, and uh, I'm just trying to hammer home this point, you know, because I hear people all the time, all the time they, they say, hey, religion is the cause of all the problems in the world. And if we didn't have religion, uh, things would be better off. You know, I think, I, I beg to differ. I think that's a completely ridiculous statement. Um, most of the majority of the organizations in the U.S. and around the world that are helping people. Uh, and reaching out, and people literally sacrificing their life to help others, are among Bible-believing uh, Christians, Catholics and Christians, people who believe in Jesus Christ and who are following his example. Uh, he said, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And it says, Whoever wants to be first uh, must be last. Whoever wants to be greatest of all must be servant of all. I mean, where are you going to get that teaching anywhere else? You're just not going to get it. This is This is biblical Christianity. Uh, Another group is Compassion International, founded by the Reverend Everett Swanson in 1952. They began providing Korean War orphans with food, shelter, education, and health care, as well as Christian training. Compassion helps more than 1.2 million children in 26 countries. Another one, Missionaries of Charity. Mother Teresa established it in 1950. It consists of over 4,500 religious sisters. It's active in 133 countries. And their vow is to give wholehearted and free service to the poorest of the poor, including refugees, ex-prostitutes, the mentally ill, sick children, abandoned children, lepers, people with AIDS, the aged and convalescent. They have schools run by volunteers to educate street children. They run soup kitchens and as many other services as a community needs. They have 19 homes in Calcutta uh, alone, which include homes for women, orphan children, the dying AIDS hospice, a school for street children, and a leper colony. And, and they, they provide these services at no charge. And you're going to tell me that the government is going to do a better job of helping people than these organizations. These people are on the street doing the hard work. You know, the government is, hey, you know, the government's a middleman really is what it is. They take from people who have worked really hard, then they take a cut out, and then they take that money. And just by, uh, not by personally getting to know people, uh, they give the money out, but actually just by, hey, uh, one size fits all, uh, you know, here's the criteria, you have three kids, Here's here's what you need. And they and they throw the money out there with very little accountability. And and uh, so this is not the solution. This actually causes people to work less. And and what do we mean by that? Well, if you look at it, the more money you take from somebody who works hard, the less incentive they have to work hard. The more money you give to somebody who doesn't work hard, the less incentive they have to work hard. So what this welfare system does when the government takes, 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 and then gives to, uh, to other people is it creates this um, uh, overall desire to work less hard. Why? Because you don't reap the rewards of your work. And so uh, that's not a good thing. That's moving in the wrong direction. We want to move back towards the biblical worldview, uh, and the biblical worldview is um, reward those who work hard with Keeping what they they worked hard for, and uh, so so as this upcoming election is is, is moving forward here, I want to encourage you, um, you know, as a as a conservative uh, person uh, who who votes conservatively, hopefully that um, we need to make the case. And I think two of the greatest things uh, arguments you can put forward is the the argument for school choice and uh, the argument for helping the poor through uh, the churches and raising up churches and ministries to do that instead of uh, having the government, which fails on a grand scale, and doing that. Okay, we'll be back next week. Uh, thanks for being with us. I hope the program was a blessing. My hope is that this program encourages you to think more deeply about issues, to love God more, to love people more, and to trust the Bible more. Have a fantastic evening. <laughs>
1: Educate for Life with Kevin Conover, a regular feature on AM 1170, The Answer. Learn more about Kevin and his work online at his website, educateforlife.com. That's educate educateforlife.com. You'll find great resources, ideas, and even video classes there to help you grow and understand what in the world is happening. Encourage your friends to listen for great guests and intelligent analysis of the stories that shape our lives. Educate for Life with Kevin Conover, exclusively on AM 1170. The answer.
4: Bring your time and bring your shame. Bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will
0: Educate for Life on AM 1170. The answer is sponsored by educateforlife.org.